Hello, hello. What's up? What's good? Ni hao. Privyet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, creative, artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Brilliant, brilliant show for you today with a wonderfully talented guest, writer Andrea Miller joins the show. Andrea is author of the new book, Awakening My Heart, Essays, Articles, and Interviews on the Buddhist Life. Andrea Miller is an editor and staff writer at Lion's Roar, the leading Buddhist magazine in the English-speaking world. Awakening My Heart is a diverse and timeless collection of essays, articles, and interviews. Miller, whose writing is by turns earnest and irreverent, unadorned and lyrical, talks to Buddhist teachers, thinkers, writers, and celebrities about the things that matter most, and she frames their wisdom with her own lived experience. In Awakening My Heart, we hear Tina Turner on the power of song, Ram Das on the importance of service, and Jane Goodall on the compassion that exists in the natural world. I extremely enjoyed Awakening My Heart. It's a fantastic read, especially for those new to the world of Buddhism. On today's conversation, Andrea and I chat about the book, and she goes in depth to talk about what suffering means in Buddhism and how we can develop tools to cultivate happiness. Andrea also chats about the importance of a beginner's mind and the noble truths that exist in Buddhism. Now, quick disclaimer, I screw up a few times in my terminology. At times I'm referring to meditation and Buddhism as the same thing. That was a neophyte mistake on my end. And although meditation is a major part of Buddhism, the phrases are not synonyms and they should not be used in, in place of each other. But Andrea did a fantastic job of answering the questions even, even through my semantic gaffes. She's a wonderful writer and also my favorite type of person because she's intelligent and a deep thinker. I learned a lot and I hope you will as well. So let's go ahead and bring on Andrea Miller, author of Awakening My Heart, Essays, Articles, and Interviews on the Buddhist Life. And let's learn. Your newest book, Awakening My Heart, what's the premise and what was your initial motivation behind the project? Yeah, um, it's a collection of articles, essays, and interviews mm -hmm. um, that I've done over the years for the Buddhist magazine, Lion's Roar. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I would say the goals are, they are the same as my goals for all the work that I do for Lion's Roar. Um, and that is, on the one hand, I just want to give people an engaging read. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a reader. I love storytelling. I love listening to stories, reading stories. And I, and I really love basically painting a verbal picture of a person, so uh, painting a picture of them. Um, so that's one hand. And then on the other hand, I have a deeper purpose too, um, which is basically, it, it, I guess you could talk about it in terms of the Buddhist teachings are often talked about as being about two things, and that would be suffering and the end of suffering. Mm -hmm. So in light of that, I guess I'm hoping that people come away from the book with a few more tools and some inspiration for ending yeah. suffering and cultivating happiness in their lives. And so basically, I mean that on the personal level, but also on the societal level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how can, we more how can we be more compassionate to self and other? How can we be really present mm -hmm. for our lives? And how can we work with difficult emotions like anger? And yeah, so I hope people get some answers to these questions and as a result that maybe they become just a little bit happier or yeah. kinder and more inspired to make the world better. Wonderful. 
you mentioned in the book that you were searching for a new spiritual life and that Buddhism initially didn't feel like the right path. What was it ultimately that piqued your interest? Hmm. It, you were right. I was always really interested in spirituality. Um, I grew up Catholic. Uh, my family wasn't religious. I, I kind of ended up going to Sunday school and being quite into being Catholic sort of by accident. I, in grade primary or kindergarten, I had a friend who was Catholic and she wanted me to go to Sunday school with her. So my mother was like, you want to go to that? And I was like, yeah. And yeah. Um, so I went and I got really into it. And I, I actually prayed every night until I was in junior high. And then I guess I kind of realized I didn't actually believe. Um, and then a year later, I discovered paganism. Mm -hmm. And with like a lot of emphasis on the goddess. And I got really into that. And really, that was a wonderful experience. Um, it was so joyous. And I loved the connection with nature. And it gave me a lot of confidence. But then that sort of fell away too. Um, and then in university, you know, I, I had an intellectual interest in, in spirituality as well. So I took religious studies classes, including mm -hmm. Hinduism and Chinese and Japanese religions. And I didn't actually practice Hinduism, though I was very drawn to it, and I ended up getting really into yoga. Um, but that Chinese and Japanese religions class that I took, that's where I first learned about Buddhism, really. Um, and I wasn't drawn to Buddhism, as you mentioned, uh, because it seems so dreary. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the first person to say that. Yeah, yeah. The, the Four Noble Truths in Buddhism are like the central teachings of the Buddha. And the first noble truth is dukkha, which means there is suffering. And, well, that's not an appealing place to start. <laughs> so <laughs> that said, a number of years later, I encountered Buddhist teachings again. And I, I guess I just came to see that it makes a lot of sense to start there. Yeah. Um, just because if you want to um, understand a problem, if you want to like, if you want to solve a problem, you have to understand what the problem is. So, so that's kind of what that's about. And, and I think also it's important to understand that there's a translation problem. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand what the Buddha meant by suffering. Um, dukkha actually refers to anything from extreme suffering to kind of vague dissatisfaction. Um, so, you know, we have this, we always things things are never 100% perfect for us. I think most of us feel that even if just a little bit, even when something is as close to perfect as maybe humanly possible, then we have this other little thorn and that is, oh, well, this perfect, wonderful situation, it's not going to last. Mm -hmm. And we know that. So so that that's kind of what's meant by suffering, uh, dukkha in, in Buddhism. Um, so. So that's it. It just made started to make sense for me that we had to understand what the problem was, suffering, in order to fix the problem of suffering. And, and then also I, I became aware that the Buddhism doesn't stop there. So yeah. that's kind of the dreary place that it starts, but it, again, it keeps going. Yeah. Buddhism is not saying that everything is terrible and hopeless. And in fact, the ultimate message is really, really hopeful. Yeah. And that there's a way to free ourselves from suffering. And that there are concrete steps to do so. Mm -hmm. In the book, you mentioned that uh, in today's world, especially in the United States, uh, the world doesn't want us to become bored, which 
because of that makes meditation all the more necessary. So why is it okay to simply sit and think without scrolling or doing something else? Well, this doesn't exactly, what the, what, the first point I would like to make doesn't really relate to meditation per se, but I just want to say that when you're not really, really in busy mode, mm -hmm. so you're not looking at a screen, you're not really busy with other people, you know, for example, you're drifting off to sleep or you're um, or trying to drift off to sleep, laying in bed, or you are in the shower or something like that. That's when great creative ideas come to you. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's a good time to have good ideas for a story or good ideas for whatever it is your creative path is. Um, but on the, for the meditation side of things, I, I think I would clarify that Buddhist meditation isn't really sitting and thinking. Mm -hmm. It's more sitting and trying not to think, yeah. but with the understanding that you won't actually stop thinking, yeah. which is a little bit funny um, by most people, you know, by most of our experience, that seems quite funny. Um, so the classic meditation is that you pay attention to your breathing. And so you feel it go in and out. And when you notice that your mind has run off in another direction, which it definitely will, mm -hmm. um, you simply note, oh, yeah, there's my mind doing what minds do. And then you just come back to the breath. Mm -hmm. And that gentleness of not judging yourself for thinking about something other than your breath is actually a really important part of the practice. Now, your book has a few high-profile names that you interview, including Jeff Bridges and the legend, Tina Turner. Uh, did the commonality of Buddhism help you during the interviews? Um, yeah. Um, well, it certainly gave uh, me something to focus on yeah. in the interviews, like a particular theme to discuss. Um, I spend a lot of time talking to people about how Buddhist practice mm -hmm. um, helps in their particular field, whether that's the arts or... Also, I, I talk to a lot of activists and change makers of, of various stripes. Um, but I, but I want to make it clear that not all the people I interview um, and profile actually identify as Buddhist, and mm -hmm. maybe they don't even meditate. Yeah. Like, like Jane Goodall, um, I have no reason to think that she meditates. Um, so she's one. And then also Simon Critchley. Uh, he's another example. He's a philosopher. I, I thought he was really interesting. He wrote a book about the various ways that philosophers have died over yeah. the centuries. And that kind of tells us what we can, it, it gives us a way to think about death, about our own death, and just what we can learn about death. So that was interesting. And then another example, um, I was really moved by this interview. It was with um, psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton. And he studied things like genocide atrocities and totalitarianism and he was like trying to figure out what is it about human nature that allowed these things to happen and then by extension uh what how, how what can we know about how we might prevent this in the future so those are some examples compassion and watering each other's seeds is a common theme throughout the book now, this year has been selfish for many, and I think many people feel fine not worrying about others because they got so much on their own plate to worry about, especially just during the chaos. Does compassion ever take a break? 
Um, I definitely agree with you that there has been some behavior this year, we've, we've all seen it, that's not been really stellar. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I actually think there's been a lot of really compassionate behavior, um, a lot of compassionate acts. And I think if you're looking for it, there's always compassion out there in the world. Um, but in terms of whether or not it's justified to stop being compassionate, just because you have a lot on your plate. Um, I don't think I would say that exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is that our compassion needs to extend to ourselves as well. Yeah. And if we want to effectively, that is if we want to effectively help others, uh, we really need to take care of our own needs. And that includes things like we need to eat properly, we need to sleep enough. And maybe most important of all, we have to be kind to ourselves. So we have to make sure that, you know, our inner talk, like the sort of what uh, the messages we're telling ourselves are, are kind. I, I know a lot of people who are really critical of themselves and not nice to themselves in such a way that they would never be not nice and critical of another person to their face. So um, I just think we need to give ourselves a break and be a good friend to ourselves so that we can then be good to others. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed Awakening My Heart. And throughout the book, it talks about the path to enlightenment. And on that, on that path, one should admit to knowing nothing, but at the same time, needs to know themselves. Now, this seems like maybe a daunting task for those new to meditation. So why is knowing oneself an important part of the journey? I would definitely say that there is something to what you're saying, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't exactly put it exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's important to admit that there isn't really too much we can be sure about. Yeah. And in Buddhism, um, it's important to have what, what's called a beginner's mind. You know, there's this famous quote, um, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities in the expert's mind. There are few. Mm-hmm. And so that is, it's important to not think that you have all the answers because when, when you do think that you have all the answers, that you know everything, then you're closed to new information. Yeah. And so I can think of a basic example. I have kids, so this, is a, <laughs> this comes to mind. If you think that you don't like a certain food, mm-hmm. um, maybe because of how it sounds, like sour cream, it has the word sour in it, yes. yuck! Or, or how it looks, visual eating for me when I was a kid, visual was big. <laughs> or how it looks. Yeah. Or, or for grown-ups, if you think, oh, well, I didn't like that 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and if you're, if you're close to the possibility of trying it with an open mind, then maybe you're really missing out on a food that you could actually really love. Yeah. So that's a, that's a minor example, but I think it, it, it makes sense. And, but I, I think that it's just really daunting to admit that we don't have all the answers, even just to admit this to ourselves, that we don't have all the answers. Um, and that everything that, you know, that we don't have certainty, that's unsettling. And yeah. we are animals who want things to be black and white, easy to understand, and we want to categorize things. Um, so I do think, though, that becoming comfortable with uncertainty is something that actually meditation can help with. Uh, but regarding your other point, 
in terms of the idea that we need to know ourselves, I would say that, well, in Buddhism, there's something called no self. Mm -hmm. and, and that, so we have no self. And that, that doesn't mean that we don't exist. It means that we're always changing. We're not just one thing. There's, we're not easy to pin down. So yeah. if you, there, we're made up of so many different elements. Like, okay, um, if we took your mother out of you, what would you be? Well, you would be nothing. If we took water out of you, what would you be? You would be nothing. Um, your, your past, your, you know, we're, we're made up of all these parts, bones, even on the physical level. What, what, are you, what are you really? If you take away all these different things, what are you? Um, so I think this whole thing about what we were talking about, it's important not to have all the answers, to, to not think that we have all the answers, to not think that we know something completely. I think that that applies to ourselves as well. Um, so for me, that's what knowing myself means. It means that I have no unchanging permanent self. Personally for you, how have you benefited from mentally, emotionally, and physically from meditation? Uh, well, um, I want to say, first of all, that I am not enlightened. So this is very much a work in progress. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't have it all down perfectly, but meditation has definitely helped me maintain my composure, um, especially when things get hairy. And I mentioned my kids before. This is definitely true when it comes to them. My daughter is five and I have a son who just turned four yesterday. You wouldn't have believed the chaos of, there weren't even any other kids here. And it was like, <laughs> it was incredibly chaotic. Yeah. Um, so and that's normal for their age. Um, but, you know, I was raised an only child. So <laughs> this is a big switch. Yeah. Um, but having learned to get in touch with my breath and my body and meditation has really helped me be able to find some calm, uh, even when there is no calm around me. And then an, a specific example that's not related to, to parenting that I would mention, is, I talk about it in the intro of my book. It was the first time I ever personally realized that meditation um, is helpful. I'd read about it a lot, but I'd never really truly experienced it because I'm actually not a very, um, I'm not somebody who worries a lot, yeah. just naturally. Um, so I, I just needed to find a, a place to, to, a way to compare it for me. And it happened for me on an airplane. I am a nervous flyer. I don't worry too much in my life, but I'm really not fussy about flying. Don't like turbulence, don't like taking off, don't like landing. So I was on a plane and I, I finished my book and then I was like, well, what am I going to do here? So I decided to meditate. And so I was meditating for, for a, a chunk of time, I don't know, 20 minutes or something. And then I stopped for a bit. I was talking to my, um, maybe talking to the person beside me. I don't know. But then turbulence started and I was, I was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and other people seemed quite, you know, wound up about it. And only later did I realize, oh, I think it's because I had been meditating. Yeah. I was like just in such a calm space that it was okay. So that was really the first time I ever noticed that, hey, this meditation thing really does work. 
again, the, the book is fantastic, especially different stories that you use to, to answer questions that I think a, a beginner into Buddhism and meditation would have. And I, I love it so much. How can people find the book? And also, how else can they find your writings? Uh, well, you can find the book on Amazon. Um, you could also order it from uh, Nimbus Publishing. And you can go to lionsroar.com or, or find Lions Roar Magazine in, uh, you know, Whole Foods or many other, many other places. Will you explain uh, and a little more about Lions Roar? Uh, Lions Roar is a Buddhist magazine. It, um, it isn't just coming from one Buddhist tradition. It represents basically all of them. It's been around for like 40 years, mm -hmm. more than 40 years. Um, it's, what else can I tell you about it? It has all sorts of different types of writing. It has Buddhist teachings in it. It has journalism. It really is about how Buddhism kind of interacts with our modern lives. Thank yeah. you so much. It was wonderful talking to you. Yeah, this was this was fantastic. Uh, I, I thanks, thank you for the book. It was it was really a great read. I read it on a plane actually as well, so it was wonderful. Oh wow! <laughs> um, and but yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. I love the stories. I just love how it was put together as well. Lions Roar is really for a general audience. You mm -hmm. don't have like um, maybe about half of our readers don't identify as Buddhist. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to, to follow along in your path in the future. I'm glad we connected this year, and uh, I hope yeah, we talk, I hope, and I hope we talk again. Okay, thanks, Randall. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation, Andrea. Be sure to pick up her book and give her a follow on social media. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.